Section 4 of Commentary in the Gospel of John, Book 7, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Reverend Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Believest thou in this? Having previously explained the force of the mystery in himself, and shown plainly that he is by nature life and very God, he demands assent to the faith, furnishing in this matter a model to the churches. For we ought not quite vainly to cast our words into the air when we confess the venerable mystery, but to fix the roots of the faith in heart and mind, and then to let it bear fruit in our confession. And we ought to believe without any hesitation or double-mindedness. For the double-minded man is insolent and halting as regards the faith, wherefore also he is unstable in all his ways. Nevertheless, it is necessary to know that we make the confession of our faith unto God, although we are questioned by men, I mean those whose lot it is to minister in sacred things, when we say the I believe at the reception of holy baptism. Certainly, therefore, to speak falsely and to slip aside towards unbelief is a most awful thing lest we may have as both judge and witness of our folly the Lord of all himself, saying, Even I am a witness, saith the Lord. And we must observe that, as Lazarus was lying dead, on his behalf in a certain way the assent to the faith is demanded of the woman, that the type in this also may have force among the churches. For when a newborn babe is brought, either to receive the chrism of the catechumenate, or that of the complete Christian condition at holy baptism, the person who brings it repeats aloud the Amen on its behalf. And on behalf of those who are assailed by extreme sickness, and on that account are going to be baptized, certain persons make the renunciation of Satan and the declaration of attachment to Christ by an act of charity, lending, as it were, their voices to those who are disabled by sickness, a thing which we see to have been done in the case of Lazarus and his sister. And Martha wisely and prudently first sows the confession of faith, that afterwards she may reap the fruit of it. 28.29 And when she had said this, she went away, and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, the master is here, and calleth thee. And she, when she heard it, arose, and went unto him. She went away to call her sister, that she might also share the happiness which arose from the expected event, and receive at once in common with herself the dead one raised again beyond all hope. For she had heard the words, Thy brother shall rise again and she told the good news of the coming of the Saviour to her sister secretly, because there were sitting by her some of those Jews who felt ill-will towards Christ for his wondrous works. And we shall not find in the Gospels that Christ said, Call thy sister to me. But Martha, taking the undeniable emergency of the affair, and the right due to her sister of being invited to come, as equivalent to an uttered command, she speaks as she does. And Mary readily ran towards him, and was willing to go to meet him. 
for how could she help doing this, when she was in such great grief at his absence, and had such a warm feeling of piety and great love towards him? 30.31 Now Jesus was not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and were comforting her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying that she was going unto the tomb to weep there. The Jews, therefore, who were present, thinking she had run to the tomb to tear herself in her grief, follow her, doing this by the will of God, in order that they might go in a body to see the marvelous deed, even without wishing to do so. For had not this taken place by the providence of God, the evangelist would not have mentioned it. Neither would he have written down the concurrent causes of each matter, had he not been everywhere very zealous for the truth. Therefore he stated the cause wherefore many ran to the tomb, and were found there, and became beholders of the marvelous deed, and reported it to others. 32. Mary, therefore, when she came where Jesus was, and saw him, fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Certainly, Mary says, that death had happened to her brother prematurely through the absence of the Lord, and says that he had come to the house when the time for healing had passed by. And it is possible also from this to conjecture that she said this as to God himself, although she did not speak accurately, from thinking that he was not present even though absent in the body. But being more accurate and intelligent than Martha, she did not say, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of God, God will give thee. Wherefore to her the Lord says nothing, whereas to Martha he spake at some length. And Mary, intoxicated with her grief, he does not reprove for saying, If thou hadst been here, to him who fills all creation. Doing this also for our example, that we should not reprove those who are in an agony of mourning. And he condescends still further, revealing his human nature, and weeps and is troubled when he sees her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping. 33-34 When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? Now, since Christ was not only God by nature, but also man, he suffers in common with the rest that which is human. And when grief begins somehow to be stirred within him, and his holy flesh now inclines to tears. He does not allow it to indulge in them without restraint, as is the custom with us. But he groans in the Spirit, that is, in the power of the Holy Spirit he reproves in some way his own flesh, and that, not being able to endure the action of the Godhead united with it, trembles and presents the appearance of trouble. For this I think to be the signification of he was troubled. For how otherwise could he endure trouble? Shall that nature which is ever undisturbed and calm be troubled in any way? The flesh therefore is reproved by the Spirit, 
being taught to feel things beyond its own nature. For indeed on this account the almighty word of God was made in flesh, or rather was made flesh, that he might strengthen the weaknesses of the flesh by the energies of his own spirit, and withdraw our nature from two earthly feelings, and transform it, as it were, to such feelings only as are pleasing to God. Surely it is an infirmity of human nature to be abjectly overcome by griefs, but this as well as the rest is brought into subjection, in Christ first, that it may be also in us. Or thus we must understand the words, He groaned in the spirit and was troubled, that is to say, as equivalent to, being moved to compassion by reason of many weeping, he in a manner gave commandment to his own spirit to overthrow death before the time, and to raise up Lazarus. And it is not as being ignorant that he asks, Where have ye laid him? For he who had known of Lazarus's death when he was in another part of the country, how could he be ignorant about the tomb? But he speaks thus as being averse to arrogance. Therefore he did not say, Let us go to the tomb, for I will awaken him. Although asking the question particularly in the way he did has this significance. Moreover, also by saying this, he prepared many to go before him, that they might show him that which he sought. With a set purpose, therefore, he said this also, drawing by his words many to the place, and appears not to know, not at all shrinking from the poverty of man's condition, although in his nature God, and knowing all things, not only those which have been, but also those which shall be, before their existence. And the asking a question, therefore, does not imply any ignorance in him who for our sakes was made like unto us, but rather he is shown from this to be equal to the Father, for he too asks a question, Adam, where art thou? Christ also feigns ignorance and inquires, Where have ye laid him? So that through the inquiry a multitude might be gathered together to the manifestation and that by his enemies, rather than by others, testimony should be given to the miracle of restoring to life one who was already corrupt. 36.37 The Jews therefore said, Behold how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of him that was blind have caused that this man also should not die? Certainly the evangelist, seeing the tearless nature weeping, is astonished, although the suffering was peculiar to the flesh, and not suitable to the Godhead. And the Lord weeps, seeing the man made in his own image marred by corruption, that he may put an end to our tears. For for this cause he also died, even that we may be delivered from death. And he weeps a little and straightway checks his tears, lest he might seem to be at all cruel and inhuman, and at the same time instructing us not to give way overmuch in grief for the dead. For it is one thing to be influenced by sympathy, and another to be effeminate and unmanly. For this cause, therefore, he permitted his own flesh to weep a little, 
although it was in its nature tearless and incapable of any grief, so far as regards its own nature. And even they who hate the Lord admire his tears. For they who follow philosophy to an extreme and have a brilliant reputation therein shed tears with the greatest reluctance, as overcoming by manly vigor every misfortune. And the Jews thought that he wept on account of the death of Lazarus. But he wept out of compassion for all humanity, not bewailing Lazarus only, but understanding that which happens to all, that the whole of humanity is made subject to death, having justly fallen under so great a penalty. And others, being wounded by envy, said nothing good, for in truth they did not find fault with the Lord for suffering Lazarus to die, for this would have been the language of men who believed that he was able to stay death. But they almost speak thus, Where is thy might, O wonder-worker? For behold, even when thou wert unwilling, he who was beloved by thee has died. For that thou didst love him is evident from thy weeping. If therefore that which was done to the blind man was the work of thy might, thou wouldst be able also to stay death, which is a similar deed beyond the nature of man. As malignantly rejoicing, therefore, because they saw his glory in a manner diminished, they say this. 38.39 Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone lay against it, and Jesus saith, Take ye away the stone. Here we understand the groaning as if it were the will struggling with a sort of movement according to its power, both because he rather sternly reproved his grief, and the tears which were about to be shed from his grief. For as God, he in the way of a master reproves his manhood, bidding it be manly in sorrowful circumstances. Or by his God-befitting movement, he distinctly lays it down that we must henceforward overthrow the powerful influence of death. And this he makes manifest by his very own flesh, and signified by the movement of his body that which was concealed within. And this is shown here by the expression, he groaned, which means, that through the outward action of his body he indicated his hidden commotion. And he did not roll away the stone himself for these two reasons. First, to teach that it was superfluous to work wonders when there was no necessity for them. And, secondly, to teach that he himself awakes the dead, but his angels will be at hand to minister in the event whom indeed the Lord elsewhere in a parable calls reapers. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. It is usual to refuse to believe in the possibility of great deeds, and to be somewhat reluctant to admire is a feeling which naturally is consequent upon things beyond our experience. It seems to me that even the good Martha suffered this, for the excessive greatness of the event took from her the sure confidence of faith, and the strangeness of the hope bewilders her proper reason. 
and it is nothing astonishing if she who had confessed her faith is again overtaken by littleness of faith through the excessive greatness of the marvellous deed for either solely out of honour to christ she said by this time he stinketh that he might not be disgusted by the bad smell of the corpse or she says this as if from shame for the relatives of the dead hasten before the body becomes ill-smelling to bury it down in the earth out of consideration for the living and deeming it a dishonour to the dead that it should become an object of loathing to any forty jesus saith unto her said i not unto thee that if thou believest thou shouldst see the glory of god a most excellent thing is faith when it is produced from an ardent mind and it has such great power that not only is the believer healed but in fact others also have been healed besides them that believed as the paralytic let down through the tiles at capernaum by the faith of those who carried him and as Lazarus, by that of his sister, to whom the Lord said, If thou believest, thou shalt see the glory of God. All but saying, Since Lazarus, being dead, is not able to believe, do thou fill up that which is lacking of the faith of him that is dead. And the form of faith is twofold. First, dogmatic, consisting of an assent of the soul to something as he that believeth on the son is not judged and secondly a gift by the participation of grace from christ for to one he says is given through the spirit the word of wisdom and to another faith which is not merely dogmatic but also capable of affecting things beyond human power so as even to remove mountains the faith of martha however by the feebleness of her reason fell away into unbelief but the lord does not permit it to remain so he effects a speedy remedy for the suffering for he says she must believe that she may behold what was beyond hope for double-mindedness is a great infirmity and deprives us of the gracious gifts of god wherefore by rebuking her Christ warned the whole human race not to be detected in the evil ways of double-mindedness. And, shunning vainglory, the Christ did not say, Thou shalt see my glory, but the glory of God. And the glory of God was the raising the dead. Surely, therefore, he himself who said, I am the resurrection, is by nature the God whose glory, he says, not long afterwards, the woman should see since thou wilt suppose that the truth and the christ is the truth does not lie and it was promised to her that her dead brother should rise again and mary being more intelligent utters no word of doubt but martha was affected by the disease of double-mindedness forty two and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the multitude which standeth by, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. 
Of course it is agreeably to his self-humiliation as a man that the Christ thus speaks in a lowly manner, not according to the excellency of the Godhead. And he offers his thanks to the Father not on account of Lazarus only, but for the life of all men. For being good, he is of one mind with the Father in bringing back to life the nature of man which had fallen into liability to corruption through its disobedience, and there is no distinction between his goodness and that of the Father. And just as we ourselves even are persuaded by our own reasonings to leave undone what we had intended to do, so also the Lord, being the word and counsel of the Father, has made the Father friendly to us. And of course we do not say that what is divine indulges in anger, but that God, being just and good, knows when it is the proper time to rebuke, and when it is the proper time to relax. However, the Lord gives thanks, and this he does as a pattern for us, honoring the Father, and when an equal gives thanks to an equal, he by no means does this as a mark of inferiority of essence. And on this account, Jesus notifies that, because of the multitude he spake thus, all but saying, I have simulated the outward appearance of prayer, and I gave thanks, in conformity with my assumed condition. For I knew that thou hearest me always. For the one nature of the Godhead is not disobedient to itself, since the mind of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is one. Knowing, therefore, he says, that our purpose is one, and our will is one, because of the multitude I spake thus. And the Christ thus speaks because of the Jews, giving thanks to the Father as if effecting by him his God-befitting deeds that they might no more say it was by Beelzebub he did signs. And he also explains his conduct with regard to the outward appearance of prayer, that we may not be caused to stumble, saying, Because of the multitude I did this. Moreover, he says, Thou didst send me, because of the suspicions of the Jews, for I came not of myself, as do the false prophets but with thy approbation and good will I emptied myself, taking the form of a servant, that I might restore the life to all. The manner of the prayer, therefore, was in agreement with his assumed condition and suitable to his outward appearance in the flesh, not to the excellency and incomparable splendor of the Godhead. For to ask and to receive would be actions altogether befitting a servant rather than a lord, and are usual with such as are under dominion. Nevertheless, Christ does even these things without blame, for having accepted for himself the condition of a man, how could he any longer decline the characteristics of humanity? End of section 4